There'd be one thing I'd forget, and that was my clicker. If someone could bring that up for me, <laughs> it'd be awesome. <laughs> it's been a busy morning. We've been trying out a whole bunch of things, and the team's been really patient with me. Apparently, I'm not allowed to stand here. Is that right? Or is it here? It's this way. No, no, over here. No, that's wrong. <laughs> so, so, thank you, honey. Cool. Um, I want to pose a question to you all. This is going to be difficult. They tell me not where, where not to stand. And actually, I'm so comfortable standing right here. And I'm not allowed to, so I've got to move way over here. Oh, I'm good over here now. Cool. Oh my goodness, I'm just going to wander, you guys figure it out. <laughs> I'm going to start with a question for you all. It's a really simple question, and I think all of you can answer this. What does it mean to be a Christian? Ah, but so not simple, hey. <laughs> what does it mean to you to be a Christian? I think when it comes down to it, we may have very similar responses, but the differences in our responses could be quite different. It's what kind of splits us a little bit. But regardless of what we think, or what it means to be a Christian, what does the world think it means to be a Christian? Uh, several reports have been done recently and some of the words that come out of these reports are just kind of thrown up there. Very few of it nowadays is positive. And there's certainly nothing there about Jesus. They think of us as all these things. And I think the biggest word that actually came out, you know, was this uh, alignment with a political view and hypocrisy. And a lot of that's because recently whenever we think of a certain political agenda, we think of Christianity. So we've become so tied to political agendas that now we're identified as that political agenda. The other thing that had come out in a lot of these reports was the hypocrisy, where all these prominent leaders and these prominent churches are failing. And so the hypocrisy that people see is that you preach one thing, but you do something completely different. You hide it behind the veil of we're doing this for Jesus, but actually you're doing it for yourselves. And that's what the world sees. There's a Barner uh, report that came out. It came out with this comment. It said, one reason why evangelical churches across the nation, this is the US and North America, are not growing is due to the image that non-Christians have of evangelical individuals. Basically, they're saying is it's not their view of uh, their, their views of, of the church in general are negative because of the views they have of Christians. Now, here's the most alarming thing about that comment. That comment was 20 years ago. Think about that for a moment. That comment was made in a report from the Barna Research on Faith in Christianity, December 3rd, 2002. <laughs> 2002. 20 years ago. We were already struggling with this issue 20 years ago. How much more is this a problem today? Uh, this comment, um, which kind of outlines 
how the public views us. It says, in public life, Christians are judged by what we do, or should I say, by what the loudest and most visible Christians do. What we claim to believe, or who we are alleged to believe in, is nearly irrelevant to the public. What do we do? Where do we stand on the issues of the day? With whom we ally ourselves, these are important to the public. Whether various Christians claim a common confession influenced by a Roman emperor as the creeds of the first century were, is nonsense to much of the public. Going on, he says, the philosopher William James wrote, paraphrasing Jesus, Jesus said, you will know his followers by their fruits and not by their roots. But what we do rather than where we come from or what we claim to believe. And that's what the world is starting to see. They don't really take interest in whatever creed we follow or what we believe in. They are looking at what we do. And that's what defines them, us, to the world. It's what we do. We, last night I was at the rugby and I don't think Richard Willis will invite me to the rugby ever again. <laughs> I was pegged between, uh, there's Richard Willis on my right and his mate Bruce Patrick, who's a, a, an old a retired Baptist pastor. Both have played representative rugby, both real diehard All Blacks fans. And to my left was a row, a whole row of Irish fans. And I'm right in the middle. I wanted to yell out, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. But then I thought everybody will come onto me then. And, and, you know, you, you can see how it was looking. The Irish on my left were calling the guys on my right, oh, they're just sore losers. The guys on my right were saying, they're just sore winners. <laughs> it's what we do, not what we believe, that influences people. I, I met with a, um, a, a Baptist pastor this week. Um, and... And we were talking about this. I think there's a lot of stress on pastors today because we find ourselves dealing with things that we were neither trained to be dealing with or are not real capable of knowing how to manage it. Uh, the whole idea of policy and politics. You know, for a long time, you know, 25 years ago when I came into ministry, we didn't talk politics in church. Everyone kind of kept their own. When I was in the States and, and, and just outside of Washington, D.C., in a Southern Baptist church, you didn't know who was voting who because no one talked about it. And he, he said this comment, he made this comment to me. He said, The Christian religion is something I want no part in. This is a Baptist pastor telling me this. I want no part of this Christian religion. I just want to be a follower of Christ. That's what I signed up for. All this other stuff going on, it's completely distracted us, it's completely taken us off course. I just want to follow Christ. And he opened up his Bible and he went straight to Acts chapter 2 and he said, Rob, show me a church that's doing this. And in Acts chapter 2, it was almost simplistic. They gathered together, they worshipped God, they ate together, they hung out, they read scripture, they learnt, they taught 
There were no evangelism plans. There were no any kind of... Um, he and I were talking and he's like, you know, when that encounter in Acts, I think it's chapter 3, where Peter and, and John, they're walking through the gate going to the temple and there's a guy next to him on the ground there who was all withered up and he couldn't walk and they just turned to him and they said, get up, walk, and he gets up and walks, right? The question that he asked me was, how many times did they pass that individual? They didn't plan that morning to go out and say, hey, let's go and get this guy walking. Because, you know, we've passed him 20 times. He's got to get up and walk now. It was just in that moment that they just, oh, dude, walk. And it happened. There was no plan. It was the outpouring of their gathering together. It's just what they did. As we get into the book of Galatians and as we're coming in to chapter 4, this is what Paul is confronted with, a church that's just getting a little sidetracked, a little too much about the wrong things. And we start in verse 8, where he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning your back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years, and I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Paul's like, dude, you're losing the plot. Did I just waste my time with you all? So let's break this down a bit, huh? Let's just start with verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Now, it's obvious here that he's talking to a group of people, the Galatians, who were once Gentiles, who once were slaves to their own sin, to their own gods, whoever it was that they came from, they had their own thing going, they came to know God, they came to know Jesus Christ, and their lives changed. So we know that these guys are predominantly Gentiles. And then he goes on to say this, but now that you are known by God or God, you know God or God has known you, how is it that you're turning back to those weak, miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Now, this is the controversial part because he's not talking about going back to the old life that they had, you know, gambling and prostitution and you know, going to the Greek temple and having a whole load of wine and drinking. and He's not talking about that life. He's talking about Judaism. See, their problem is, is that they want to start following the law because the Old Testament says you've got to do this, this, and this. And so a whole bunch of people in Galatia are saying, oh, well, you all need to be circumcised now, right? We, we've talked about this up until now. But here's the problem. He is equating going back to those Jewish roots as paganism. Scott McKnight, in his commentary on Galatians, he says this, what is revolutionary here is that Paul considers moving into Judaism as nothing other than a reversion to paganism, to non-gods. He asks, do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Their move from idolatry to Christianity and now to Judaism for Paul no different than a venture back into idolatry or paganism. 
N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, but now the pl- that the plan has been fulfilled, that is, Jesus has come, he has died, he's resurrected. Now that the plan has been fulfilled, anyone who goes back to the earlier stages, treating the law as though it was something independent that could stand for all time, treating it, in other words, as a God. Now, let me just let this sink in for a moment. Think of the Ten Commandments. Take a moment. That is part of the law. Um, when I was in the States, the one thing that the big deal back then was in Virginia, which is a southern state and is quite uh, conservative in many ways, but northern Virginia is actually quite liberal because it's tied to Washington, D.C. But the courthouse in Fairfax County wanted to remove the Ten Commandments from the wall. And you wouldn't believe the uproar that happened out of it. And, you know, I was part of that group in our church where we had this discussion around, should we write something in and should we do this and that? And then I read this and I'm thinking, hang on a second. That's the law. We're not subject to that. (laughs) For some here, we might struggle hearing that. What do you mean we're not subject to the Ten Commandments? No, we're not. You see, the thing about coming into Christianity, it's great to look back and say these are easy steps to follow. This is what it means to be a Christian. Don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that. It's really easy. It's sometimes the way we want to parent, right? I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I get frustrated. Like, just do this. And they don't. It would just be so much easier if you just listened to me and do this. And we treat Christianity like this. Let's do it this way. Because if you do it this way, we'll get it all right. Well, how has that worked for us? How has that worked for us today? That comment from the Barna research 20 years ago, does that gotten better? And this is what Paul's telling him, dude, don't go back to that. That was there for a time. You can use it as a guideline if you want, but don't treat it as a God. You're under the covenant of Jesus Christ now. Yeah, that's a little bit difficult, isn't it? People tell me I should point people out when they're doing things wrong, and I do. I'm Italian, I point everything out. Actually, I've also got Lebanese blood in me, which makes it even worse. We just have to point anything out. But the best thing to do sometimes is allow people to journey and trust that God will work in them and through them. It's called the power of prayer to intercede for people when we're not sure about the rules anymore, when we're not sure about what's right or wrong anymore, we turn to God, not to the rule book. We get on our knees and we intercede. Sometimes rules are a great way of not having to pray. It's a way to circumvent the whole prayer thing. It's a whole way of circumventing the whole, you know, interceding for people, calling out to God for help. This is what Paul is struggling with in the church in Galatia, and I think that's what we're struggling with here today. 
We've turned to try, we haven't got a grasp on what society is doing anymore. We don't know how to handle this, so let's fight this politically. Let's get the right laws in place. Let's change people that way, because if we can put those parameters in place, we can stop this evil from happening and people will turn to God. But they don't. The most stringent law-abiding countries in this world are autocracies. And how well are they faring? Believe it or not, it's in those countries that Christianity is growing because they are countercultural movements. What are we holding on to? What laws do we live by that we've kind of put a place in our lives that are taking the place of our relationship with Christ? What boundaries have we put in to say, this is the way I operate? because the Bible says this, this, and this. Paul's saying, just don't turn back to that. Look forward. You have Christ in your lives now. Work out your salvation through him. Is that an easy task? No. That's why we have the body, the church. And when people tell me I'm just not interested in organized religion, yes, I hear you but the church is important to help you, should be important to help you in your walk. We should be holding each other accountable, lifting each other up, walking alongside each other, having to put up with all our little things. This is part of being a family. This is part of being a body of Christ. And he goes on, he says, not only that, but you're holding on to all these special days and these seasons and months. I've had, we had a great friend of ours in the States and he was fascinated by Jewish culture that he started doing all the festivals. Um, He kind of called himself, you know, an adopted Jew. He was a Christian, but he was doing all that. And and, and it didn't sit right with me. I couldn't understand why, but but then it it, it made sense because you see all those festivals, all those celebrations, they point to something that's going to come, the Messiah, to Jesus. Well, let me tell you, he's come. It's done. They're completed. You don't need to do all those things again. The Passover looks towards... He's here. So when, if you celebrate the Passover, celebrate as though it's happened. <laughs> We're celebrating. So there's a different spin on it. Don't follow those things. And you know, they'll fight for Christmas. And you know, we've got to put Christ back in the Christmas. Maybe that's a special day for you, but it's not a special day for me. And for some of us, it's a Sunday. And another one is the Sabbath. It's a Saturday. And we, we fight over these special days and seasons. Let it go. I think Paul... Paul challenges this in Romans. He says, you know, every, one person considers one day more sacred than the other. Another considers it every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. He's basically saying, just do it. Stop squibbling and squabbling over these things. We'll celebrate Christmas and we'll put Christ in it. If the world doesn't want to do that, that's their business. We'll do it, right? This is a challenge of being free in Christ. N.T. Wright tells a story 
of um, activists in San Francisco who wanted to release um, this whale that was in captivity. This is in the early 80s, and they, they kind of fought hard to free this whale, and finally they won, and they released the whale, and the whale went out into the Pacific Ocean, U-turned and went straight back, because he felt much more safer <laughs> back in captivity than out in that big wide ocean. And, and he says it's a funny story that we like to be held captive because it's safe. Freedom is a scary thing. The scariest thing for me was letting my kids go. And my wife can tell you I'm a control freak. I am. I fight every day with myself to try and let go of things. The elders know this. I've gotten better. Stuart Gray usually knocks me about the head every once in a while just to keep me in line when I start getting a bit too obsessed with trying to control things. That's captive. I'm held captive. Freedom is letting it go. Is this uh, live, car, live streaming going to be working? I have no idea. Is it, is it balanced right? I have no idea. Is this sermon coming across well? Are people understanding what I'm saying? I have no idea. I've got a lot of blank faces in front of me at the moment. With masks, most of them with masks on. So I don't know if they're smiling or laughing. I don't know. But the freedom is that God will speak to you. That even if the levels aren't right, people will hear what they need to hear. People will connect with God as God sees them and as God can. Thank you. <laughs> I needed that. The biggest challenge for me was letting my kids go and forgetting that even I and Monica, we had to have our journey and would I wished to have the same journey again? No. I wish we could have done it differently but it wouldn't have made the people we are today. And sometimes freedom in Christ means letting go. Actually, it always means letting go. Don't fall back to your old secure ways. Fall back to Jesus. back to Jesus. He has to be I pray one day, I don't know if it will ever happen, that Barna does a research and people will say to non-Christians, what does it mean to be a Christian? I'd love to hear someone just respond follow this guy named Jesus. I just want to hear that response because that's what they seem to be all about rather than what political agenda we have or what rules we have. That they will know us as followers of of Jesus Christ and they will not want to get to know us better they want to get to know this Jesus better amen amen I'm going to ask the music team to come up I'm going to leave you with this challenge this morning what do you need to let go of what is holding you captive you've called yourself a Christian for how long now a follower of Jesus what holds you more captive? What defines you? Is it being a Jesus follower? That's the challenge. Take some time out as we sing this last song. You can stay seated. You don't have to stand. You can be on your knees if you need to but maybe this is a good time for you to just take a moment and give to God
what you are holding on to. For some of you, it could be your kids. For some of you, you could be slaves to your work right now. Or for maybe some of you, you've, you've just made your lives so stringently condensed because you're too afraid to take that next step that God's calling you to take. Whatever that may be, give it to him.